You know, there are innumerable failings of the capitalist system. It hasn't eliminated illiteracy. It hasn't been able to provide basic human rights like food, employment, healthcare, and education in the 21st century, despite all of the forces of production. But I think arguably the most grotesque condemnation of the system is the fact that it cannot and has not provided housing as a right. The problem isn't that there's not enough housing. In fact, we could end homelessness tomorrow, given the simple fact that there are more empty homes than there are homeless people. But if we want to end the scourge of evictions, we have to end the parasitism and anarchy of the capitalist housing market. That America will never be a socialist country. 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 Attitudes are changing towards socialism. We believe the only solution is the establishment of a workers' government on a socialist program. Revolutionary greetings and welcome to another action-packed edition of the Socialist Revolution podcast. My name is Joe Lang. I'm a contributor to Socialist Revolution and an organizer with the International Marxist Tendency Branch based in Newark and the northern New Jersey area. This evening, as is often the case on the podcast and stream, I'll be taking up a current event from a Marxist perspective. And in this case, I'll be discussing the pressing question of housing and evictions in the U.S., Now, this talk is based on an article that we recently published in Socialist Revolution. And for those of you keeping score at home, that's issue number 23, but it's also on the website and should be posted in the comments. Now, the article, which I definitely recommend checking out if you haven't already, is called The Looming Eviction Tidal Wave and How to Fight It. And this is the latest in a series of articles that we've covered on housing and the second or third article, I can't remember, on this topic that I co-wrote with Socialist Revolution editor Antonio Balmer. Uh, and definitely check out his recent live stream on the revolutionary case for nationalization, which was indeed most excellent. So while this talk is based, like I said, on the recent article that we published, events are moving at a breakneck speed with this unprecedented crisis of capitalism. So it's really difficult to publish these perspectives and articles that don't become somewhat dated in a matter of really days, if not weeks, in terms of facts and figures. But the Marxist theoretician Ted Grant astutely pointed out that Marxists have to base themselves first and foremost on facts, figures, but above all arguments. And although this or that fact or figure can become outdated quickly, the fundamental arguments that we make here in a socialist revolution won't because the fundamental contradictions in capitalism and the corresponding needs of the working class aren't going to be going anywhere as long as this system exists. But to illustrate really just how quickly things are moving, I wanted to give a sample of headlines published in the last couple days. MarketWatch, quote, this is just slowing the clock on evictions why the CDC's moratorium on evictions won't solve America's looming $100 billion rental crisis. The New York Times, how does the federal eviction moratorium work? Well, depends on where you live. 
We also have The Gothamist. New Jersey eviction filings reached 26,000 despite state and CD mor CDC moratoriums. NPR, <clears throat> thrown out of home at a time when a roof is more important than ever. Yahoo News, housing expert. Eviction moratoriums are, quote, not enough during pandemic. The New York Review of Books, I particularly like this one because it's very straightforward. America's eviction epidemic. I'm into the whole brevity thing. I think that's a good one. Bloomberg, under a second federal moratorium, eviction filings plummet. But that one has a bit of a misleading title, and I'm going to come back to it. But that's just on the national level. You also have local outlets that are publishing nonstop. Springfield New Leader, evictions halted for now, but rents still do. Experts worry that tsunami could come in January. King 5 Seattle News. Landlords sue Seattle over COVID-19 eviction rules. New Jersey Spotlight News, facing tsunami of evictions, renters to get more legal help. Greenville Journal, United Way president says that new moratorium on evictions is not the end of the problem for Greenville. And finally, our Quad Cities, abandoned and homeless animals increasing due to evictions. Now. This is just a drop in the bucket of the articles published because the United States, like I said, is dealing with an unprecedented crisis that's as severe, but I would contend significantly more severe than the Great Depression. But while the 1929 crisis stretched out over years, the initial phases of this collapse have played out over merely weeks. Now, close to 60 million people have filed unemployment claims, so it's not surprising that people are struggling to pay rent. And things have really only been temporarily stabilized through an unprecedented monetary injection in the economy with millions of workers temporary, temporarily, quote unquote, bailed out by some commentators as millions of dollars are really just making a pit stop in their bank accounts before they're rerouted into ruling class pockets in the form of rent, interest, and profit. But this type of massive monetary intervention, which free market fanatics incidentally categorically ruled out just months ago, has definitive limits. Even with the intervention, one survey indicated that nearly half of all renters couldn't make their rent as recently as July. Now, around that time, former Labor Secretary Robert Reich tweeted grimly, quote, the wave of evictions and foreclosures in the next two months will be unlike anything America's experienced since the Great Depression. And unless Congress extends extra unemployment benefits beyond July 31st, we're also gonna to have to deal with unparalleled hunger, end quote. Now, when you see arch-liberal commentator Robert Reich make that grim of a statement, you start to appreciate really how catastrophic the situation really is. Now, as I paid attention to the news as the crisis has unfolded, I've continually seen these numbers that the mind can't even digest on a certain visceral level. I remember I once saw an interview with the musician David Crosby, where he talked about playing in front of a million people at Woodstock. And for whatever reason, that interview st stuck with me because he said it's somewhat incomprehensible because your mind counts and goes one, two, three, four, five, and then at that point, poof, many. 
And I think that statement is fairly poignant when one looks at the figures brought on by this crisis. On a certain level, they're almost incomprehensible. But before delving into some of them, I think it's important to note that the federal government and most state governments don't collect eviction data. So national figures can be a little bit hard to track. Now, that being said, I really recommend checking out Princeton University's Eviction Lab, which is about as close as possible to what we have of a gold standard. Now, they've tallied close to 50,000 completed evictions since the beginning of March. And when we wrote the article uh, last month, more than 200,000 eviction proceedings were in progress, which is almost certain to have risen by now. And, but that's really just a tiny sample. Now, some of you will have noted that the Trump administration announced a temporary suspension on evictions until after the election via an action of the CDC. Very expedient for them. But had they not done so, as many as 40 million people would have been up for eviction. That is one in five renters. Again, that is one of these pieces of data that detonates in your mind, but it's almost incomprehensible. But this moratorium really doesn't change anything fundamentally. All it's doing is delaying the day of reckoning until after the election. And the fact of the matter is that mainstream bourgeois commentators have admitted precisely as much. I want to quote at length, you have, you have Market Watch, quote, when the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced in early September that it was establishing a temporary ban on evictions across the country, the news was celebrated by housing advocates who feared that as many as 40 million Americans could be kicked out of their homes during the pandemic. The bottom line, the historic move did not come with any additional funding to support struggling renters and landlords across the country. Housing advocates and industry officials say, if lawmakers don't set aside funds for emergency rental assistance, the eviction crisis could hit a fever pitch once the moratorium ends. The moratorium does, does not automatically protect renters. They have to proactively fill out a form and send it to, drumroll, their landlord to receive protection under the CDC's order. Congress has not appropriated any funds for the explicit purpose of providing rental assistance. Meanwhile, millions of Americans remain unemployed because of business closures triggered by the coronavirus. As a result, the CDC's moratorium is not in itself a solution to the eviction crisis the nation is facing." End quote. Market watch, folks, not socialist revolution. Here's the New York Times, quote, Fending off an eviction could depend on which judge a renter in financial trouble is given despite a federal government order intended to protect renters at risk of being turned out. Landlords are still taking tenants to court, and what happens next varies around the country. Some judges say the order, which was announced on September 1st, should prevent landlords from even beginning eviction cases, which can take months to play out. Some say a case can proceed but they have to freeze at the point where a tenant would be removed, usually under the watchful eye, why well, it's important, watchful eye of a sheriff or a constable. Other judges have allowed cases to move forward against tenants who insist that they should be protected 
And at least one judge in North Carolina has raised questions about whether the CDC's order is even constitutional. But most pressing, lawyers say, are the wildly varying interpretations of what seems like a simple order. So that's it. There you have it. The would-be protection from the CDC can be completely manipulated by this or that functionary or steward of the bourgeois state based on their will. Now, even the Bloomberg article that I mentioned points out that, quote, pandemic and wage losses have magnified an existing housing crisis with eviction risks falling disproportionately on communities of color. Eviction filings alone can't fully convey the scope of the problem, since many landlords turn to lockouts, harassment, and other legal tactics to remove tenants without the courts. So in practice, evictions are still proceeding. But even with the temporary moratorium in place, tenants are still eventually going to be obliged or obligated to pay back rent, with some estimating that at least $100 billion in further monetary injection is going to be needed to stabilize the overall situation. It's also worth underscoring the fact that COVID-19 hit when housing insecurity, gentrification, and homelessness were already hitting peak record crisis levels. In 2016, when the official unemployment rate, which is almost surely an underestimation, was under 5%, there were 3.6 million evictions in the US. And just a year ago, the National Low Income Housing Coalition published a study that indicated that 25% of US renters spend more than half of their income on rent, that over half a million people experienced homelessness on a single night in 2018, and seven and a half million Americans have been forced to move in with friends and family prior to this crisis. But as with every aspect of the capital cri capitalist crisis that's been pushed to unseen levels by COVID-19, Latinos, Blacks, and minorities have borne the brunt of the crisis in what one commentator called a, quote, race equity disaster. So we're dealing with the biggest crisis in over half a century on top of the 2008 crisis that we never seriously recovered from. And of course, these statistics are obviously sobering. But the fact is, is that Marxists have total faith in the working class to step in and take control of their destiny, even in the midst of a massive capitalist crisis. And the inspiring Black Lives Matter movement here shook the establishment to its foundations and inspired a worldwide movement. And on top of the litany of worldwide mass movements we saw last year, we're also right now seeing inspiring movements in places like Belarus and Lebanon, just to name a few. All this is to say that millions of people are not going to stand idly by as they're evicted Leaving aside that the ruling class is gonna have a nearly impossible task of evicting 20% of all renters, the beginnings of a fight back have already been launched, if only on an embryonic level. In cities like Brooklyn, New Orleans, Washington DC, and Chicago, we've seen small scale actions already and even rent strikes that have been launched to stop or slow eviction attempts. Now, when the tsunami of evictions finally reaches the shore, we have to ask, well, what kind of action is really required to stop it? And what we can say is that impromptu rent strikes 
without strategy and organization just don't work. You know, a couple years ago, there was this group that came out of Occupy Wall Street and they <clears throat> repeatedly tried to stop foreclosures, staging protests at banks, blocking their entrances and camping out on foreclosed property. And while that tactic worked for days or even in some cases weeks, the state would eventually wait until the activists were tired and then complete the proceedings, which left everyone dejected and the homeowner sadly on the street. And what this demonstrates is it's gonna take a lot more than small scale guerrilla actions and improvised neighborhood campaigns to, uh, to confront and, and combat the combined might of banks, landlords, real estate developers, and speculators, not to mention the laws, courts, and armed bodies of men set up to defend the interests of the property owners of the US. Even the best intentions and most heroic efforts of small networks of activists are not gonna cut it. What's needed is a mass militant response that can truly and fully harness the power of the working class. Now for that to happen, organized labor needs to play a central role for the simple reason that organized labor is the only force in society with the resources, organizational infrastructure, and national presence that could give a rent strike the necessary scope and support to really take on landlords and the ruling class across the country. Now leadership worth their name could right now bring close to 15 million trade union members into a national campaign against evictions before recruiting millions more. This could start with the formation of tenants unions and defense committees in every city's working class neighborhoods. These committees in turn would provide citywide and national coordinated structures to unify the fights of groups of tenants against their landlords. But most importantly, it would generalize the struggle and give it a clear working class character by mobilizing mass solidarity under the slogan, an injury to one is an injury to all. Now we can meet evictions with rapid response, mass mobilizations to physically block them from being carried out. And if necessary, committees would organize collective defense against any and all violent state repression. But only this kind of mass organized resistance can successfully prevent mass evictions, force concessions from landlords, and counter the threat of repression by law enforcement. Make no mistake about that. Properly prepared mass strikes can hit landlords and the big banks where it hurts the most by stopping their inflows of rents and profits. And with these kinds of militant tactics, the working class can immediately defend itself from an immediate plunge into barbarism and go on to the offensive. But we have to point out that the struggle in the streets has to be accompanied by a struggle for economic and political power against the bosses' parties. And that's both the Democrats and the Republicans. And I say that because it's very clear how reactionary the Republicans are, but in so many major cities in which there have been housing crises, they've been presided over by Democratic supermajorities. Democrats, at the end of the day, are really only interested in kinder, kinder and gentler forms of austerity and homelessness. And if you're wondering what that looks like, take a look at homelessness and gentrification 
in cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco, which we've written about ex extensively in Socialist Revolution. In practice, it means as long as these parties and these politicians are writing and enforcing the laws, any concessions and victories are only going to be temporary. And as a result, we have to take the fight to the political plane with a mass working class socialist party. Now, it's important to realize that this kind of militant class struggle policy is diametrically opposed to the pro-capitalist policies pursued by the current later labor leadership, who for decades have done everything in their power to avoid any kind of confrontation or any aspect of the class struggle. But it's also clear that the capitalist system has utterly exhausted its potential for meeting the needs of humanity as a whole. And in the cauldron of the crisis and the, the class struggle, class collaboration is gonna be chucked into the dustbin of history and new leaders will emerge who will take the struggle forward. A new generation is being shaped under the impact of back-to-back -back crises. The last crisis saw a shift of an entire generation towards socialist ideas that culminated in the Sanders campaign. But the 2020 crisis is gonna push millions more to embrace an even more revolutionary outlook. But if we wanna end the scourge of evictions, we have to end the parasitism and anarchy of the capitalist housing market that there's not enough housing. In fact, we could end homelessness tomorrow without any investment given the simple fact that there are more empty homes than there are homeless people. The problem isn't this or that landlord. Many of these landlords are just small proprietors who are crushed between the classes. They're being squeezed by big banks, speculators, and finance capital magnets to whom they themselves are indebted. Really the problem for being clear on this question, is the capitalist system itself and its feature of extracting rent, interest, and profit from the working class on behalf of the ruling class. And as long as the working class is only paid a fraction of the value it produces, we're gonna be faced with scarcity and people will struggle to cover rents and mortgages. And on that note, you may have noticed that we didn't touch on mortgages and foreclosures as part of our article and I haven't talked about it. And that's just due to the fact that the timelines around foreclosures play out over a longer period than evictions do. But unquestionably, homeowners are susceptible to the same issues as renters. And so we can say as sure as night follows day, we're gonna see a wave of foreclosures as the workers struggle amidst this crisis. You know, there are innumerable failing, failings of the capital system. It hasn't eliminated illiteracy. It hasn't been able to provide basic human rights like food, employment, healthcare, and education in the 21st century, despite all of the forces of production. But I think arguably the most grotesque condemnation of the system is the fact that it cannot and has not provided housing as a right. And the reason why I say that is that there have been societies that have, the so-called communist societies, which we know are deformed and degenerated worker states, in the past were able to, at the very least, eradicate homelessness. But in the United States, we're not starting with the productive forces of Russia in 1917 or China in 1949. So we have to ask ourselves, if a revolution was carried out, what would a worker state in the United States look like in 2020 and what would it provide? Well, in contrast to the aforementioned parasitism and anarchy of the housing market, a democratically planned economy would immediately ban all evictions and foreclosures while proceeding to nationalize 
all vacant homes in the hands of real estate speculators while moving to provide housing for all. A workers' government would eradicate homelessness as part of a voluntary plan for socialized housing, starting by capping rents at no more than 10% of wages. And again, this transformation could be all but immediate as long as the working class is ready and organized to take power and abolish capitalism. The answer isn't tinkering with this or that aspect of the market or passing insufficient piecemeal legislation that just delays the crisis. What's needed is a militant, implacable class struggle tactic that I would contend ends with revolution. But the good news is the working class has never been so strong. Imagine all of the energy of the recent Black Lives, Matters pro Black Lives Matter protests multiplied many times over with a clear program and steeled leadership ready to channel that energy into a fundamental change in society, a revolution. It would re represent the greatest event in human history, but the success of that event is contingent upon the preparatory work of training cadre that can intervene in these movements in sufficient numbers and lend clarity while fighting shoulder to shoulder with the working class to forge a leadership that can rise to that task of history. And that's the work that the IMT is taking up. And I hope that you join us in the most noble struggle for socialism in our lifetime. And on that note, if you haven't already, please consider becoming a subscriber to Socialist Revolution, or better yet, an IMT sympathizer, or best yet, a member. Get involved. We're currently active in 59 different US cities, and in some areas we have multiple branches where you can get plugged in really quick and get active in the class struggle. So please join us. Beyond that, please hit the like button and subscribe to this. We're gonna be having a lot of different new educational videos on Marxist theory and current events in the coming months. So you wanna make sure that you tune in. Now before closing, on behalf of the entire US section of the International Marxist Tendency and the New Jersey branch in particular, I wanna extend full support and solidarity to the Brazilian comrades of Esquerda Marxista, the Brazilian section of the IMT. One of our comrades down there, Johannes Halter, was recently a victim of a cyber attack by reactionaries who are looking to silence and stifle the forces of Marxism. And as mentioned before, we take very seriously the slogan, an injury to one being an injury to all. We will not be intimidated or coerced by the forces of reaction. So with that, I ask you to join me in the campaign to denounce this attack on freedom of expression and organization and send messages of solidarity to contato at marxismo.org.br. And with that, I want to extend solidarity to everybody out there and I want to thank you for tuning in.